What advice does a performance coach of 20 plus years have to share with the next generation? And how does that advice not only apply to high performance, but in life in general? Today, longtime physical preparation coach Mike Robertson is here to share his advice, stories, and perspective not only on pro sports, but in life too. Let's do this. Welcome to Finding Small Wins. My name is Adam Layakino, and I am a physical therapist in the NBA and a former performance coach in Major League Soccer and National Women's Soccer League. The purpose of this show is to have conversations that pull back the curtain on sports. We're here to learn how we can upgrade health and performance and shed some light on how some of the best at what they do are finding the small wins that help them along the way. Our conversation today is with Mike Robertson. Mike has been a leader in the physical preparation industry for over two decades. Mike's personal blog, robertsontrainingsystems.com, has been a resource for thousands of young coaches and practitioners. Mike has been a contributor to other websites and blogs, including Men's Health, T Nation, and ESPN. Mike is also the host of a physical preparation podcast with over 200 episodes interviewing athletes, coaches, therapists, and many more. Mike currently is the co-owner of iFast in Indianapolis, Indiana, where he is providing physical preparation training for both basketball and soccer players in addition to the general population. Finally, Mike has turned his 20-plus years in the industry into two incredibly valuable resources, IFAST University and the Complete Coach Certification. Both are online education programs that elevate the next generation of coaches. On a personal note, I've known Mike from years from crossing paths when we were both working in professional soccer. I always walk away from our ARC conversations learning something, and I'm happy to finally be able to share some of our conversations with you. Now, let's jump into this conversation with Mike Robertson. All right, Mike, let's let's zoom out here and okay. take a quick 10,000-foot view yeah. of who Mike Robertson is. <laughs> uh, man, we could go deep on this one. Uh, man, I always say I basically live a double life in the fitness industry because I own the gym, I fast, I train people, I coach people. So I've got like the brick and mortar side. And then the other side is the online presence, which probably more people actually know about, right? It's the writing, the content creation, podcasts, videos, all of that stuff. So yeah, it's like a double life. You know, you got the the stuff that you do day to day that people never see because it's behind closed doors. And you got like the public profile that you got to put out there on social media and Instagram. But yeah, man, just kind of a little bit of everything these days. And how long have you been at it? Dude, make show my age already, <laughs> man. I'm like, uh, this is like 22 years in no it's been wow okay you really yeah. did just show your age yeah no i know like that's what i'm saying like when kids come in now and i call them kids but it's like yo i've been coaching longer than you've been alive yeah so when you start having those moments you're like okay i've been in this game for a minute yeah i i, I hear that because that's similar like we're starting to see that with the trend in uh, pro sports too like a lot oh, more yeah. younger athletes come in as well yeah speaking on that have what is you you've, you've dabbled in pro sports as well too like, yes what's been your experience with professional athletes amazing like amazing like it's really interesting because early on, I knew I wanted to work with athletes, right? Like age, shape, size, that didn't matter as much. I just knew I loved sports and loved working with athletes. It was kind of a natural progression because I wanted to work at the highest level myself as a professional, right? I was always trying to figure out best practices and, and how to take the best care of people. But for me, working with pro athletes just kind of ended up being a natural fit because they want the best for themselves. There's a lot of skin in the game, right? And in our world, a lot of money involved. So it's like, hey man, these guys are invested, gals. They're invested, they want the best for themselves. So 
I kind of naturally gravitated there. And it was weird because a lot of times people were like poo-pooing it at the start. People, oh, you know, you don't want to work with pros. They're jerks. You know, they're conceited and self-centered. And I'll be honest, like in my experience, like that's just not a thing. And I'm sure there are those people out there. We talked about this a little bit before the show, but man, I've been around amazing human beings. Some of the most caring, thoughtful, compassionate people and incredibly hardworking. Like, I think a lot of times people think you're just like born into the MLS or the NBA or the NFL and physical gifts, yes, but an incredible amount of, of work ethic that goes on behind that. So I've been very blessed. Haven't come across any just straight jerks, amazing people, all the pros that I've worked with. That's, that's, that's reassuring to hear because you do hear that perception on the outside. It's like, yeah. oh man, I hear he's terrible. Like, oh, because it's such a myopic viewpoint, right? Yeah. Like you only, you only get a snapshot. It's like, oh, he has one bad comment in the media. It's like all of a sudden he's condoned as this, like you said, jerk, bad guy. Yeah. It's like, no, like he, he had a bad moment. Right. Or like, right. hey, like you got to remember, oh, is that after loss, like an emotional, yeah. emotional high. It's like, yeah, I, I, we both play sports. It's like, yeah. man, I probably wasn't the most pleasant person to be around Absolutely. if I had a bad game or loss. I was a total jerk. <laughs> You know, intramural volleyball, intramural soccer. Don't talk to me, man. We just took an L. I don't want to talk to you right now, let alone being in the spotlight and being around that all the time. And again, just with social media and everything else, like you have one bad moment and it can really come back to kind of rue you. So, And then, so from professional, so working with the pro athletes, you yep. have private clients that come here, yep. but you also dabbled in a little bit with the pro soccer as well with the yep. team setting. What was yep. that experience like for you? Man, that was really eye-opening because, well, for a couple of reasons. So like leading up to that, the guys that I got in professionally when I was just working privately were amazing, right? Like shout out to Danny O'Rourke, who really kind of got this started for me. Danny O'Rourke led to Lori Lindsay, who played for the women's national team. Those two led to Chad Marshall. So, I mean, really like getting high level American soccer players right out of the gate was huge. But you know, the whole vibe is different. They're yeah. coming to you. They're seeking your advice, your thoughts. Now, when I get thrust into working for the Indy 11, which I did for five years, man, it's not a negative, but it's a lower tier of soccer, right? So good and bad comes with that. Um, a lot of times these people are at this level for a certain reason, right? Sometimes they're working their way up. Sometimes they're working their way down, right? They're later in their career. Um, but just as a whole, it's a different environment because they're not coming to you. You're there. They're expected to see you or they're expected to work with you, whether they like it or not. And I think that was the most eye-opening thing because I come in and I'm like, hey, man, I've had some success. I've worked with these high-level players. And some of those guys just don't care. They don't for whatever reason, right? Uh, maybe they don't like you. Maybe they don't like strength and conditioning. Maybe they got hurt in the gym in the past. So I think that was a really big shift. And learning point for me was, hey, look, like these guys are high-level soccer players, but the entire dynamic of the relationship is flipped. So now I have to maybe be a little bit more outgoing. I have to be okay with the fact that not everybody wants to come in the gym two or three days a week and get lifts in and take care of their body. Like you kind of have to meet everybody where there's at or where they're at. Uh, and, and I talked about this on a show yesterday, but it's like you have to take the guys that are really locked in and you build with them. And eventually people start to see, hey, why is this guy having so much success? Why are they having so much success? And athletes talk and they all want to be successful. So they say, hey, look, 
I've been going to Mike and, you know, my hamstring or my groin or whatever that was bothering me, not bothering me anymore. I feel great. You should go see him. And so a lot of times it's playing the long game in those team environments because not everybody's going to want to rock with you day one. So you just really invest in the people that are interested. You try and keep tabs on and keep uh, just a good relationship going with the rest and hope that over time you can win those those guys and those girls over so that they eventually want to be a part of what you're building. It's great advice and great pers- <laughs> it's great perspective because you've lived both sides of it uh-huh. and you've experienced it too because you just spoke some real some real truths, right? Yeah. There's a perception that everybody works hard and trains. Don't get me wrong, they work hard and train, but yeah. they might do that on the field of the court. They might not necessarily yeah. do it with you, some, yeah. right? Especially in the soccer culture, there's a lot of countries in the world that the S&C and lifting side isn't as popular as is in the States or as prominent or uh, believed in as much as yeah. here in the States. So sometimes the international guys, you're just, hey man, like let's try and learn the language here. Let's yeah. just try and catch up. And like yeah. eventually, oh, like I'll do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. So it's just really, it's really insightful to hear that because not everyone appreciates that having an opportunity like yourself to live both sides of it. Yeah. All right. So if, here's like kind of where my mind goes. Let's play a little thought experiment here. Okay. Right. For, now you lived, you live primarily now working in the private sector, mm-hmm. but you you know what it's like to be on the inside. Yes. Right. Me personally, all I've known is team sports. Yeah. Right? I, I've literally lived it for over a decade. Yeah. And so nowadays, the modern athlete, off-season training happens away from the team. Sure. Right. Resources, desirable cities. They know they they now can afford to be away from the team. Yeah. Live in a separate home, whatever it may be. For the performance staff on the team setting, yeah. right? How can we best support you when you are managing the off-season program for an athlete? Great question. Uh, I would say the most important thing, and this is this is a two-way road, but it comes down to communication, right? So I love the communication that I have with the various teams, the various athletes, because I want to get a feel for what can I do to best serve the athlete? And maybe this is just perspective and age, but I realized very clearly 22 years in, like, this is not about me. It's not about me blowing up my Instagram profile. It's not about me showing who I'm working with. It's about, hey... If I do great work and the athletes that I work with get great results, like that will speak for itself. So I think having a really good discussion coming out of the competitive season, like where is this guy at? What kind of stuff has he been dealing with? What do you want to see for him? Like when I have those discussions, it makes the off season incredibly easy on my end, right? Now, even if somebody has like some extenuating circumstances, they've got some rehab that they need to finish up man, it's so much easier if we have that discussion early on. And, you know, I always joke around like, okay, you're the support staff, right? I am the support staff of the support staff. Like I'm an extension of you. So the better I understand where you're coming from and what the team needs to see for that athlete going forward, the easier my job is in the private sector. And, you know, I know a lot of times it becomes like this tug of war, you know, like, oh, well, I want to do this and you want to do that. I think the the quicker you can set aside the ego and just realize it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about the athlete and getting them the best possible result, the sooner we can get to that kind of agree agreement, the easier everything is for both of us. Have you ever, when you talk about communication, have you ever invited people out to, to your space? Yeah. And has, has that ever happened? Do people ever actually take you up on that? Um, it's, it's a little bit more rare. Um, You know, if it's somebody local, it's easier. Uh, But I always tell, I tell every coach that I interact with, especially at that level, like we're an open door. 
So if you want the programs, I'll send you the programs. If you want to come out and see what we're doing, I'm happy to do that. If you want videos of the athletes, like I don't care. Um, because one of the great things about being in your environment is you have a team of people that can check you, right? Chris Chase and I have talked about this a lot. Like he's got a whole staff in Memphis that can check him. You've got a whole staff in Phoenix that can check you. You know, I got Bill, which <laughs> that's a pretty good check uh, and balance system there. But I mean, just being honest, like if I'm not willing to put it out there and be transparent, then I have an issue that I need to work through. So I always say it's an open door policy. Whatever you want or need from me to make sure we're getting this guy or this girl the best result, I'm happy to do. So let's flip it on its head here. And then from your perspective, for other people that are in your shoes, yeah. how, we're, you, you, you hit on communication, right? Yep. For the team setting. If yep. we flip it, how can those in the private sector help the team's environment? Yeah. So now I just think of it as this progression from, okay, competitive season ends. You need to let me know where you're at, where your guy's at, what you want to see. We go through our off-season program now, and then we just flip it, right? So a lot of times what I'll do, I'll send all the off-season programs. I'll say, this is what we found initially, things that we've been tackling, things that uh, are potentially still issues going into the season or things that we feel like need to be addressed. Again, and it's never like, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, but it's, hey, this is what we found. This is kind of our KPIs or things that we're targeting for this athlete. Now, kind of up to you, you know, how you want to integrate that or how you want to take that going forward. Again, you're a professional, you know what you're doing, but just trying to continue that discussion and continue that communication process, I feel like is really important. And, you know, as private practitioners, sometimes it's important to know like, hey, look, we have to let go. <laughs> it's hard uh, because part of my job is, you know, if somebody is gone for six, eight months, I want to keep tabs on them. So I'm always going to keep in touch via Instagram, text, whatever. But also, I don't want to muddy the waters, so to speak. So unless somebody has something just really like pressing that, you know, the team has failed to address, you know, I try and stay out of any of the player management, health, SNC throughout the course of the season and say, okay. You're with your team now, do what they need you to do, and then we'll start this cycle over once the season's over. I really appreciate that take because being on the inside, I've had both situations. Um, you have third-party practitioners that are like you said, like that, that what you just said, hands off. Hey, like yeah. I need to back off, and it's hard. You're right. invested. You're yeah. invested in you're invested in what you just like you just spent X amount of months with this. Like, yeah. you're, like you want this human to be good. You're yeah. also a good dude, so that yeah. like, you want them to succeed. Yep. I've had the other scenario where there's too many cooks in the kitchen. For sure. And I'll, like, I'll put my hand up and say, that sometimes is a challenge for me being on the inside because at some point, everybody wants a piece of it. And yeah. they, they, they have the right intentions and it's never coming from a place of, hey, like, no, like I gotta be the guy. I have to be the person. Like, Hopefully it's not coming for, from exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. right? You yeah. hope yeah. that, you hope yeah. that. But from my, it, my experience, it's with good intentions, but the challenge is when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, there's too many voices, the information gets diluted. And, yep. I, and I, I've been in situations where the player's like, I want to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And you kind of put this conglomerate of a program together and I see the intent with it. But over time, I've seen that those situations aren't as successful as just saying, hey, this is what we're going to do from this one voice, this yep. one direction. And everyone just being a part of that and accepting that. Okay, yes. 
that's a tough thing to do. And I think I'm, it's very common in team sports because that's what happens, right? You have a group, like you alluded to earlier, you have a group of people that can check you. Yeah. And everyone says, okay, this is what I think we do. This is what we think you should do. And then, okay, this is what we're doing. And everyone's okay with it, even if it wasn't your idea. Yep. For those that may have not lived in a space or been in the team environment, that may be challenging. You're, you're used to saying, oh, no, like, you're coming to me. So, like, speaking on this kind of that dichotomy of private, team, right? Have you ever found yourself in situations or heard of situations of, like, tiffs? between private and team staff? Of course. How how can we best manage those situations or avoid them? Well, again, getting all interested parties kind of on the same page, however you can do that, right? And sometimes it's hard in your world because maybe you're in Phoenix and the trainer is in LA or New York, whatever. Like sometimes that's hard, but you got to get everybody in the best possible environment to have a, an open discussion about this, right? Like you have to kind of bring everything back and say, look, who are we here for? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about this person, right? This athlete that we're trying to take care of. Um, and I know sometimes that's like pie in the sky. It's hard to do because look, if we're being honest, you get to the highest level, there's ego involved, right? Like everybody has an ego to some extent. It comes down to, hey, can I be vulnerable? Can I be open? Can I put my ego aside? Because again, it's not about us. It's about this athlete. Can we do what's best for them? And like you kind of alluded to, what you end up seeing is when all these other people are chiming in and, you know, they got a guy for this and a guy for that. Now, all of a sudden you have, I just call it a Frankenstein program. Like there's not one cohesive thought process here. We're just throwing stuff at the wall to see what works. And ultimately it's not best for anybody involved. It's not best for the athlete. You just don't get the result that you want. Yeah. So I think the sooner you can get everybody, all the invested stakeholders kind of together and agree like, hey, it's about this person. How can we best manage this situation and move it forward? The, the better it's gonna be for everybody. So let's dive a little bit deeper into the Frankenstein, right? <laughs> and I, and I kind of maybe yeah. like, not necessarily what Frankenstein is or what it is, but yeah. kind of like maybe the X's and O's, yeah. right? So you're, you're an S&C, yep. I'm a physical therapist, yep. right? That is a very common relationship that occurs nowadays. Someone from medical and performance, we have done a much better job of trying to integrate quote unquote silos, but yep. let's be real, they still exist. For sure. Right, you and I can sit here across from each other, have conversations, talk it up. Not everybody can do that, yeah. right? Because like you alluded to, some egos may be in the way, industries, beliefs, thoughts, differing. At the end of the day, 80% of what we're all doing is the same thing. Yeah. We're all just branding yeah. and marketing the same way. So how can we best integrate together? I think one of the best things you can do is spend time in the other person's domain. Uh, and what I mean by that is there's a reason Bill Hartman and I get along so freaking well. And it's because the first three years of my career, I spent a lot of time doing rehab. No, no business being in rehab, just for the record, like zero business being in rehab. But I was thrust into a position and my mindset, my personality is like, hey, look, I'm here. Like, I'm going to learn as much as I can. So I had a lot of relevant experience kind of in what would be Bill's wheelhouse, right? Now, the cool thing about Bill is he's a physical therapist, but I can just imagine him leaving wherever he was working at the time and going to Gold's Gym and just getting jacked out of his mind because he was bodybuilding, right? He loved pushing weights. So, you know, we know like rehab training, it's all this big continuum or big spectrum. Like I spent time on his end. He spent time on mine. So it was so easy for us to integrate and collaborate. But I think if you're not gonna have those kinds of situations where you can truly cross over, if somebody wants to learn about physical therapy and they wanna learn about how to manage an ACL or an Achilles, hey, if you're a strength coach, seek out people that are doing this 
on a regular basis. So if I'm a strength coach and I want to rehab a guy who's coming off an Achilles and you're managing it on a daily basis, why wouldn't I go spend an hour with you a couple times over a couple months to try and better understand, oh, okay, well, this is why he does this loading protocol or this is why he does you know, this nutrition routine, whatever, right? Like we can talk about X's and O's of that. But the better I understand what it is you're doing, and the great thing is a lot of times if I go and I hang out with you, right? And I'm watching you treat my athlete. I'm building rapport with my athlete because they see I'm invested in him. I'm building rapport with you. It's a very open environment because I can ask you questions. Say, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that stretch? Why are you doing that loading protocol? And I'm kind of on your turf. So again, I have to be vulnerable. I have to expose myself a little bit, but it allows me to really grow this relationship both with you and my athlete. And so I think if you can do stuff like that, it's really powerful. Or as a physical therapist, hey, I don't know why you're doing these activities in the gym. Okay, well, come to the gym and let me walk you through my program. It allows me time to explain what I'm doing. And hey, as long as you're willing to ask questions, I'm okay at this point because, again, 22 years in, I'm okay asking a dumb question because I just don't care. If you think I'm dumb, that's fine. (laughs) Like, really, I'm okay with it. But, like, sometimes the dumb questions or what we perceive as dumb from as an outsider, people are like, oh, I never really thought of it like that. So it forces you or me to better explain our thought process and why we do certain things. So I think just getting out of your comfort zone, going to somebody else's home turf to better understand their thought process their treatment strategy, their training program or style, whatever, you can do that. It really opens yourself up to some cool learning opportunities. There's two words that come to mind when like, I'm like, I'm processing all these things, like these nuggets yeah. you're dropping, right? Yeah. Any young clinician, a young coach, you just heard a lot of nuggets right there if you weren't paying attention. <laughs> uh, curiosity and relationships. Yeah. If you live life a little bit more curiously, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's, we're inundated with information. Yep. Okay. And the social media world has taught us we all have to create our own brand. Yes. And we have to look out for ourselves and, right? And, and there's value in that, like sure. 100%. You and I sure. both know that, right? But at the same time, that curiosity needs to live to building a relationship. Because at the end of the day, you are, we, we are in the people business. Yeah. We are in the business of creating relationships. You and I have known some amazing coaches, clinicians over the years. Yeah. And we've known some, let's just call it average Joes. Yeah. How often have you seen sometimes those amazing clinicians fail and the average Joes succeed? Yeah, because they know how to manage the let's let's quote unquote soft skills, the relationships, yes. and I think the, the the recommendation you have of going to spend time physically, right? That's something you and I have done right yeah. years ago. Yeah. Like like coming in here to IFAS in the purple yeah. room, like just spending time here. You going to other coaches, right? That's what you do. Yep. Now it's like, oh, let me just scroll. And, yeah. And learn, and so it's so different. And I think um, you only get a snapshot when you if that's your if that's your source and that's your medium for trying to educate and learn, like you said, the other side of the coin. Like if you're an SNC, learning the PT, if all you're doing is scrolling, probably not getting the full picture. And then also probably lend yourself to, is that a reliable source or not? Well, yeah, I mean, that's like a whole show in and of itself, right? Um, because yeah, we're conditioned now to think we can pick up these little tips and tricks in 30 seconds to a minute on social media versus, hey man, if I want to go learn somebody's stuff, this is a lot more time consuming. I'm gonna go seek them out and spend a day or a week with them. Yeah. I'm gonna pay them for professional mentorship. I'm gonna buy their course, right? Like, cause they have like really good people have a system or a course. They don't have just sound bites and cool reels. They've got an entire system that they apply and use with their clients and athletes. So those are the people that I wanna seek out and learn from. And I think that's really important. And as a young coach, you've gotta distinguish who is just a highlight reel 
and who has real substance behind the the content that they're creating. So let's jump. We're gonna we can talk about this later. Let's just jump into it. Yeah. Right. So you've you've been around the block for several years. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've seen a lot of stuff come and go. Yep. Okay. Let's start with vetting out resources and yes. figuring out what's reliable. It's like you alluded to, uh, the 10 second clip versus spending the day with a clinician. Yep. How can the next generation of coaches, therapists vet what's out there? Yeah, such a great question, incredibly relevant. So when it comes to vetting people, I think there's multiple things you need to do. I think number one, you have to go beyond the social media presence, right? And really dig in. So two people, well, three people I always credit. Number one, Bill, because I mean, obviously the most relevant mentor I've had in my entire professional career. But beyond Bill, there were very, very distinct gaps I had in my own education coming up that I knew I needed to fill. I knew speed when I was younger was not a strong suit and writing conditioning programs. Well, those things, if you want to work in sports, are pretty important. So basically what I tried to do was, okay, hey, who are world-class experts in these fields? Who are people or who are coaches that are applying this and using it on a daily basis, seeing results? Who has a real system in place to do this? And so the people I found for that, number one, Lee Taft, uh, who I think the world of, I mean, probably the best multi-directional speed coach on the planet. So I said, this guy knows what he's doing, right? And this is pre-social media, right? So I could watch him coach either live. He lived in Newcastle at the time, so I could go watch Lee practice. Uh, I could listen to him at Perform Better Summits or wherever he was speaking. He had an entire system. You know, back then, I think he called it groundbreaking speed too. It's like, this guy has a complete system for training all the qualities that I need for athletes. So that's where I started. And what you do is if you can adopt their system, right? Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. uh, But if you adopt that system, the most important thing is you cultivate a filter, right? You cultivate a filter. So now I've got this base uh, system in place. Now, granted, it's Lee's because I don't have, you know, the, the other knowledge yet. But man, I've got a filter to start processing this other stuff through. So now if I want to go listen to Nick Winkleman or Derek Hansen or Cam Joss or any of these other people, uh, Stuart McMillan, that are talking about speed, I've got a filter to put it through, right? So it was Lee for speed and it was Joel Jameson for conditioning. Uh, And so with these two guys, now I've essentially got a system built off of their system that allows me to, to filter any new or incoming information. I think that's the most important thing because if you don't have a way of filtering this, you can be snowballed by anybody, right? Anybody that is good on camera or has an athletic physique or you know has great Instagram reels, you're subject to follow them and think they know what they're doing. But if you have a filter to put everything through, now you can really kind of put this stuff to the test. Say, eh, does this really work? Or does it just look cool and get a lot of likes on social? What's more important, looking cool and getting likes on social? Or <laughs> having, yeah, that's a good question, having man. Having a system, you know? And I, because I, I go back and forth on this, right? Like, yeah. I, I see it, right? Mm-hmm. You and I know some very intelligent people and have been around some great models and systems. Yep. I also see, I've seen great models and systems, and I look at them like, man, how are you, like, not bring, like bringing in the cash? Like, yeah. how are you not? like living on a private island, the private jet, right? Yes. And then you see individuals out there and you, you dig through their stuff or you buy their course and you, and you, and you look, reflect on like, that's all it took? Like that, and, and you sold it, right? So like, yeah. 
I hear both sides of it. Yeah. Right? And that's, yeah. It's, I appreciate you saying go out and learn and build a filtering system because ultimately you need that as a clinician. You need that as someone, if you're going to sell, what hopefully provide quality care. Yeah. You need to have that. Yeah. Right. And so from all these years, right, you've built up your filtering system. Yep. Right? You've, you've, you've learned from a lot of great people. In the world of performance, human performance. So in the world of physical preparation. Yep. What has withstood the test of time? Smart, fundamental training. Like the least sexy thing that you can put on social, right? It's not like 10 glute sculpting exercises, but like foundational stuff, right? Like, hey, we're going to attack most areas of the body in a balanced fashion, right? Progressive overload. Uh, not sexy when you can talk about the four-week bench press routine to add 50 pounds to your bench press. But like systematic progressive overload over an extended period of time. Uh building motor competency and movement complexity over time, right? Like building those base level fundamental movement patterns. I mean, you work in the NBA, right? How many guys have to goblet squat early on just to teach them how to squat effectively? So like these foundational principles will never go away. They will never sell your course or get you a thousand likes on Instagram, unless you're just like, just banging bodies, six pack abs, you know, whatever. But, uh, I mean, that's what it comes down to, like the things that you learn early on, right? Early on in your career that are like basically undeniable. You get further away from them. They've, they've been assimilated into your thought process, into your system. You forget about them. But those are the tried and true things you always come back to, right? We're always looking for like that 10%. Man, this new thing that's really, that's great. But 80 to 90% of the people that you work with need all of this stuff first and foremost, and maybe forever before they ever get to that last 10%. I don't even argue it's 5% we're probably chasing. You know, it's probably, yeah. you're really talking 5 to 10%. Now, because I also think there's a lot of like a good training history and training age with a lot of gen pops now too, right? Yeah. Like, like everyone, I think, I think as a society, at least maybe I'm jaded because of the environment I work in, but I'm just, I think we're just more active. Yeah. I, I would like to think, but I'm yeah. sure someone's going to fact check me on that from the CDC <laughs> and say, no, actually obesity <laughs> rates have gone up since pandemic. Right. So someone right. at CDC, shout out Caitlin Hoyt if you're there, <laughs> someone uh, fact check me on that right there. <laughs> but if we, so like we kind of talk about, okay, the, the, the unsexy fundamentals are truly what work. And I, yes. I, I share the same sentiment, right? It's, yeah. And I think that's a struggle. He's like, this, we were doing this 10 years ago. Yep. And there's a reason why it still works. Yeah. Right. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I think you can tweak things. We've learned some stuff, right? Yeah. Kind of modify. But if you look at it, what you were doing 10 years ago to what you were looking at now, probably the foundational principle is there. Yeah. Is there anything else out of curiosity from like the history of physical performance that has come and gone that you used to do? Mm. I mean, I, I think a lot of the commercial systems that are out there, again, without naming names, we've dabbled in a lot of those over the years, right? And and I think they've been valuable stops along the journey, but there's failings in all of them, right? Um, and I think that's one of the great things about Bill's model and what he's tried to create. I mean, I think he and I, he's on another level, right? Just for the record, like he's on another level, but this is something that he and I have chased since our inception. That's why we started hanging out other than we like the same music. And, you know, we, we liked watching MMA together when we were younger. But, I mean, we're obsessed with movement. We're obsessed with movement. How do we help people move better? How do we help them become more economical, more efficient? And I think a lot of these systems where they just want to be like plug and play or, hey, do this test, and then it's like an algorithm 
test and then do this activity. And it just doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. Most humans don't work like that, right? Because they're unpredictable, they're complex. So I think the most powerful thing for us to kind of not dodge your question, but kind of move around it just a little bit is to just, we keep coming back to basic principles, right? Like fundamental principles of movement, of physics, pressure, right? Like pressure is one, we're not talking about that in my uh, XI classes or my master's program at Ball State, but man, pressure, like high pressure, low pressure, where can people drive air, you know, fundamental things that you and I probably take for granted now. Mm -hmm. Like before that was a system, right? And now it's just, no, like I understand this person, you know, is compressed in this area. We need to help them expand. We need to create space so that they can move into it so that then hopefully they can move through it and produce force and be a healthier and more robust human being. But I think that's the biggest thing, right? Is like, we've tried all the systems, right? Like we've turned all of the stones over to try and figure out, okay, what sticks, what works best. And not to say they weren't valuable, they were stops along the way, but I think ultimately it led uh, specifically Bill to a point where it's like, no, like let's just rely on basic fundamentals of movement, of physics, it's not, I, can you call it a system? I mean, it is, right? But it's very organic. It's very fluid. And it's definitely not this algorithm of if this, do that. It's a thought process. Yes. It's a thought process. Because um, he's, you know, he's, he's instilled this, this quote, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. George Box. Yeah. Great, yeah. great statistician, yeah. statistician, excuse me. All models are wrong, but some are useful. Yeah. Right. And I think, we all have, a, just like in anything in life, you have a working framework of what you believe in something yep. given all the other information you have at hand. Yep. So you create this model, right? And eventually you're going to want to capitalize on that. We live in a country that yeah. is found, found rooted on capitalism. For sure. So you want to sell it. Yes. And you want to make money. And then you promote, you promote, you promote, and you're like, okay, this is the way you got to do things. Mm, actuality, like, yeah, that part of your model is great. The right. other part, nah, not right. so great. And right. I think that's what, that's, what, that's what's awesome. Like what you alluded to of uh, turning over every stone is brilliant because y'all taking the time to, okay, let's, let's try this model. Let's try this model. Let's try this. You had the patience, credit to y'all, patience and diligence to learn that. Yeah. And you eventually said, okay, here's what, here's what makes sense to us. And also you've alluded to, you've heard, I've heard you say the word principles, right? Yeah. I'm sure across all the programs and all the models you saw, there were some very similar principles across all yes. of them, right? Yes. And so now it's like, okay, let's just pull the principle. And this is what we've seen across. I'm just picking a number here. These 15 models. Yeah okay, they all have this principle. Okay, yeah. you know, if everyone's saying that, there's yeah. gotta be some merit to it Yeah, and vice versa. It's almost like you're uh, you're going down the uh, shopping aisle mm-hmm. and you have 27 different brands of water. Yeah. And yeah, they all brand, they all market something, but like at the end of the day, they're all H2O. <laughs> like break, break it down <laughs> right. to chemistry, like it is H2O. Yeah. Same thing, right? Yeah. So I appreciate that, hearing that and just acknowledge and respect the time it took you to get to that space too, because yeah. that's not easy. Well, it comes back to the filter. Yeah. Right. So again, if you have a filter to put things through, you're like, oh, okay. Or you've you've exposed yourself to so many different things. It's like, okay, here's the commonality amongst all of them. That's probably universal. That probably works. I'm gonna keep that. Right. Yeah. And there's things you take away from everyone. Sometimes it's just, oh, I never thought about this like that. That makes sense. So nobody likes to hear this, but it's like there's there's a lot of value in the journey, right? And I think that's something that young coaches just universally need to hear, right? Like you're never going to go from one to 10 
in a year or two years. It's a long game. It's a long process. So you have to enjoy the process and the journey to get to the end game. All right. So we talked about kind of this journey of going through, right? Nowadays, what are the big pillars of your programming and what you believe in? Man, here's the cool thing. The one thing that has not changed is it always comes down to improving movement, efficiency, and economy first. Like, I've I've really said that and stuck to that for like 20 years now. Uh, and if you go back to my first articles that I wrote for T-Nation in like 2003, Eric Cressy and I were talking about, hey, look, that's cool. You want to be big, strong, jacked. Why not move really well so that you can be big, strong, and jacked and not hurt, mm-hmm. right? You feel good. You're more efficient. You're getting more out of your body with less wear and tear. And I mean, that stands the test of time. Like I still fall on that now. The principles and the thought process behind that have changed and they've evolved. Uh, and how I get from A to B has definitely evolved. But I think that's just nuance and refinement of kind of my thought process. But man, movement efficiency, movement economy, like that is it. That's the starting point. It doesn't matter if I'm working with Grandma Betty or uh, my wife's girlfriend who's a hairdresser or an NBA athlete. It's like, hey, let's help you move as well as we can first. And then we can start to address the physical outputs. And I think the biggest issue nowadays, and it was 20 years ago too, but people want to chase the outputs first. Mm-hmm. And it's this uh, bigger, faster, stronger, uh, more conditioning, more volume. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my knee hurts, my back hurts, my shoulder hurts. Well, okay, let's help you move better. So like we did the whole thing backwards versus just saying, people will always be like, oh, well, if you only have four weeks with somebody, what are you going to do? Well, the exact same weeks if I had them for four weeks to start an entire off season. Mm. Like those are the low hanging fruit. Like if you help somebody move better, if you chase those basic like biomechanical principles, help them just, again, get, get expansion where they need it, help them move more efficiently, everything is so much easier going forward. They feel better. And then if you want to do all the cool stuff later on, great. You've got a better foundation to build that off of. But I think too often we put the cart before the horse. There was something you taught me uh, years ago. Um, yeah, I don't know if you still have the picture, but it's a pyramid. Uh-huh. And you and I talked about, hey, like, if you only build the base so small, the pyramid physically, <laughs> geometrically can only go so high. Yeah. Right? But if you spend the time, like you just said, take those four or six weeks to do things well, yeah. build a foundation, that pyramid can be exponentially higher. Yeah. And, the, and you can just go further and, Absolutely. and chase those things. And I appreciate you saying that because that's what I enjoy about rehab. Like long-term rehab for me, Lexi, she was like, you know, had a recent ACL case in the last couple of years. Yep. That was so much fun for me. And it also was a remind. I think this is why long-term, re- like surgery is so beneficial in some instances. You can, that's a conversation if you should get the surgery or not. Yeah. But what surgery does for a lot of people is it forces you to do the foundations really, yeah. really well. Yeah. One, because you have constraints from the surgery that, hey, you can't do these things or else you may rupture the surgery. You may right. you may cause damage, for lack of better terms, yeah. to the surgical site. Yep. So you got to spend time really just, okay, if I can't do the fun things of chasing outputs, running, jumping, sprinting, right. okay, what are my goals? Okay, let's, hey, let's just do a really, really good squat with 25% of your body weight. Yeah. And just like nail the movement, nail yeah. the efficiency of it. Yeah. And for me, that's so exciting. But you like, I've the feedback that I get from just sport coaches, they're like, man, Adam, 
he looks way better than like when he was before surgery. I know. And it's like, and I, yeah. I, it's like, okay, it's like a good pat on the back, but it's also, yeah, but it's also the environment that was created for him because you've given this guy an opportunity. Let's just even a shorter stint. Like even if it's eight weeks, the first two to four weeks, you get to do those exact same things, create yes. the foundation. Yeah. And then you see the benefits of like, oh, wow. Now you really aren't concerned about having a flat tire. Yeah. Right? Like you, yeah. like you're the car is tuned up, ready to go. Okay. Go fine tune it and rev it up and go chase some outputs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Like I see this time and time again, a lot of times when you have to dial things back and a lot of times in your world, right? It's like, okay, more constraints. Like you physically can't be on the court mm-hmm. as much, right? Like you can't do all the things you would normally do in an off season. Hey, now we get time to really focus on some of these things that have probably been holding you back that potentially drove this issue in the first place. Now we get to fix all those and hopefully, hopefully make you more robust for, you know, the rest of your career going forward. Cause we're going to lay this foundation that you might've never had before. I think one way I approach, not to just be the dead horse here, one way I approach the rehab is if it's long-term, I'm like, oh, this is off-season training. Yeah. Right? Like if you, if you have that mentality of treat the person, not the diagnosis. Yep. Like I acknowledge the initial injury, but most constraints of initial injury, unless it's a major reconstructive surgery, man, they're, they're gone within the first two to four weeks. Yeah. And so then you really can just use that as a, t- a way to get back to some of the things that we know, like you alluded to yeah. part of your foundation, your key, your big rocks, your pillars yeah. of your training have been successful. Yeah. We live in a modern day athlete now too, right? There's also um, an influence of technology yes. and apps and yeah. data. And I think it's a double-edged sword, yep. right? I think you and I started early in soccer. And I think like anything in life, you swing one way on the pendulum yep. and you get really bought in. And then you realize, wow, we're measuring stuff that we don't need to measure or this data is not providing us anything actionable. Yep. So over the course of your time, right, from either high-level fitness apps or even just basic data collection, yep. if someone wanted to incorporate data with an athlete, mm-hmm. a tech, data, yep. what would you recommend? I mean... You can get like really like just daily readiness type stuff, uh, like general health markers and shout out Aura Ring. Maybe you should uh, plug my guy, Adam, here, give him a little sponsorship. I got one here too. But yeah, um, I bought one years ago because my sleep was garbage. You know, I was getting like 30 minutes of deep sleep a night and realized this is something I need to focus on. So what's the saying? What's measured gets managed. Mm -hmm. So man, huge, huge easy win for me, right? Is, hey man, let's let's get on this, let's get the sleep up, and immediately, you know, blood markers are better, energy levels better, all that. So you could you could use something like that. Um, depending on the athlete and the environment, I think if I worked in a sport where external loading in the weight room was a bigger focus, uh, I would probably be using something like a gym aware on a daily basis. Huge, uh, huge results with that, especially with uh, athletes that I've trained in rugby, in football, it gets you away from the percent base, base system. It gets them from trying to kill themselves in this mindset of, I have to add five, 10 pounds every week, right? It gives you that auto-regulation, that ability to train specific targeted qualities based on the bar speed. So I think that would be a huge one. Uh, something that I've been getting back into myself is the use of force plates. Um, man, just again, for me, the continuity of care, I think is really important. And, you know, you guys are probably using tech and force plates on a fairly regular basis. So 
I need to have a certain level of understanding, right? As a private practitioner, if you need to see certain metrics tracked or certain certain metrics are red flags for you, now I have the ability to say, okay, hey, look, this is what Adam uh, needs me to look at. Now we can track this throughout the course of the off season. I can very clearly state, hey, not subjective, wishy-washy. Oh yeah, I think he looks better. You know, like there's a time and a place for that. Um, and I think you need to marry the subjective and the objective. But if you're tracking measurable objective KPIs, now you and I can have that discussion of, oh, hey, his rebound counter movement jump looked like this, or his 10-5 jump test looked like this. I need it to be here. Now I can test that and track that on a regular basis. So again, now it is objective and there's no surprises. When he reports to training camp, it's not like, oh, Mike said he looks good. And then we put him on the force plate and he's still got this massive asymmetry or issue that you guys identified. I just wasn't able to track it throughout the season. So, you know, that's everything from low hanging fruit, just tracking sleep and readiness to, you know, high end. But I think really it comes down to what's meaningful to you. What are you going to use regularly? And what are you comfortable with? Because, look, if you're not willing to invest the time in learning about a force plate and all the metrics that you can pull off it and all the different tests, then don't use a force plate. But you have to figure out what works best for you, what's meaningful for you, and what you're willing to really dive in and learn more about. That's great advice. It's, it's, in, it's inundated with information. Yeah. Tech. Right? Oh, my it's, gosh. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a massive business, just like the supplement business, just yeah. like anything else, right? So I think it's important, like you said, I think the last bit you said of understanding what you're comfortable with, also what can be meaningful. Yep. I think the final thing I would add to that was going to be actionable. Yes. Right? Like if you're, because I was in a space uh, working in pro soccer and there was a new piece of tech we were using. My coach Adidas um, was kind of like my entry point into pro sports. Yep. And man, I was collecting so much data. I had no idea what it meant. And I think, you know, at certain times, just like, well, I'm collecting this information. I have to do something with it. And like we made some decisions. I think in some instances we made the right decision. I think in some instances data wasn't strong enough. We didn't know enough. Right. So I think if you're going to measure something, like you said, if you, if you measure it, you can manage it. But also if you're going to measure it and try to manage it, you have to have an action plan with it yes. as well. Yes. If you don't have the action plan, it's like an if-then statement. Well, if my sleep score on the Oura Ring said I was 65, then I should take a light day of training. Right. Right. And that's just the beauty of an app like that. It kind of gives you the action plan or just yep. recommends what it should be. Yep. But for all the other things that you said, I completely agree as far as, because what you alluded to, they do have an action plan. They they help you be a better coach, yep. more efficient coach. Because the other component of the tech and the data is if you're spending too much time behind the computer and not on the floor with the coaches or not in the treatment room, yeah. that tech's probably not doing its job. Yeah. Well, it, it, you sacrifice the relationships and the human element of all this, mm -hmm. right? And at the end of the day, we're not training robots, right? we're training human beings. So mm -hmm. you can't sacrifice, and again, maybe this is just the coach in me, but you can't sacrifice those moments to stare behind a screen. Like mm -hmm. if you want to do that, that's great. And I think you need to do that. You need to take that time, but that needs to be on your own time, not when an athlete's on the floor and you could be interacting with them and forging a stronger relationship. Because like one thing we do know, have you ever heard of it, uh, John Kiley? Have you ever heard that name? I, don't I think he's yeah. an Irish guy. Yeah. But I've read a lot of his stuff. He's a super interesting guy. And and he said, like, if you have a good relationship with an athlete, like their brain chemistry changes the second they see you, the second they start interacting with you. So I imagine that you could be the worst coach on the planet, but if the athlete likes you, their brain chemistry is wired for them to get a positive adaptation from training with you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, again, it's not like that's something we're tracking on a day-to-day -day basis, but just know and understand, like, hey, if I have a really good relationship with this athlete, 
that's going to go way more than me knowing, you know, every bit of nuance from the tech and the data that we collected on them earlier today. Trust is one word that comes to mind. Huge. And coming back to your original point you made in the conversation, communication. Mm -hmm. If there's trust, they'll tell you how they feel. Yes. They'll tell you like, hey, I'm ready to get after it. Or they'll say, hey, like, I'm just not feeling it today. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then as a coach, right, you, the art of it, you, you pivot, you yeah. make an adjustment. There's, there's sometimes like the, the idea that comes to my mind is I'm glad you brought up John Keeley and that, that thought process. I guess I yeah. love that perspective because I think the best technology in the planet is your brain. Yeah. Right? Like we're actually, we're literally using a brain to solve the deepest, darkest mysteries of the brain. Yeah. Right? Like how, like, what, yeah. like, what a, like a pun that is right there, the irony right. in that. So I think like, you know, we're, we're talking about the relationship to communication. Like, yes, that's important. And tech is important. Um, so if you can have that trust, ask the, ask the right questions yep. and not only ask the right questions, but actually listen and be present and try Huge. to empathize and okay. This was my, and also have the, um, have the fortitude to say, although this was my plan today, I'm going to put my ego aside. I'm going to put my intentions aside and like, okay, I'm just going to do what's best for him today. Yeah. And like, we'll, we'll come back to this the next day. Right. I yeah. think that also takes a little bit of a humility. Thank it you. Takes, yes. It takes some humility. And I think we've touched on this a couple of times already, right? Like putting the ego aside it's hard, man. I mean, I remember being 24, taking hours to write that first training program and like cutting cutting a vein to like <laughs> create this beautiful Mona Lisa program. And you look back now, that was trash. It was really bad. But like, you're so married to it, right? You're mm -hmm. like, no, this is the program. This is going to get them the result. And then the athlete comes in on day one and they're like hungover, had a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend, their dog died. Like they're not ready to train. So yeah, I think just understanding that, you know, putting your ego aside, understanding that one training day won't make or break you, mm -hmm. you know, in a perfect world, we string together a lot of really good days, but one day won't make or break you if you're smart about it. So like, I don't know, it's just understanding, like having perspective. And I think part of that is just hard when you're young because your perspective is this, the longer you do this, the wider and more broad your perspective is and the easier it is to just take your ego aside and just say, hey, this is long-term the best thing for this athlete. You, you bring me to my one, the next point that I want to hear your perspective on. Because you said, you just said, hey, we're trying to string a lot of good days in a row. Yeah. Right? You're not going to have this monumental great day and all of a sudden you're there. Right. That, that's not right. Just, the human body doesn't adapt that fast. I right. wish it did. Right. right. So the big win at the end is some goal that we set, yep. but the small wins along the way, yep. right? Because training, it's a, it's challenging, yeah. okay? It's a physical and mental process. You have your good days and your bad days. How are you helping your clients find the small wins along the way? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think part of it is context, right? So what it constitutes a small win for a fat loss client uh, is different than what it means to a high-level athlete. And I think one of the things that's fun about rehab, you know, I'm not technically in the rehab space, but I mean, you know, it's so gray with so many of these guys. It's like, oh, they're not technically injured, but they're definitely not 100%. So like, it's just that those small wins of a lot of times I don't even see it in here. I mean, sometimes I see it in the weight room. It's like, oh man, you couldn't do that last week. Or you know, I'm a big on video. Like, hey, look, do you remember how your split squat looked and felt day one? Yeah, it was bad. Now look at it a month later and look at your body position and think about how your knee feels now, you know, so creating some context and some awareness in that space. Uh, but that's honestly kind of why I like 
rehab because I think sometimes those points are uh, they're much more like salient, right? Mm. It's mm. just much more like, oh man, I couldn't do this a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, whatever. Um, so I think that's a really powerful thing. But I think it comes back to context, like what's meaningful and valuable to this person? What do they take stock in? So with a fat loss client, maybe it's, hey, uh, you know, it could be like an, an actual small win, like, hey, I shed some body fat, uh, I lost some weight, I lost some inches. It could be something like that. It could be, hey, uh, I was 90% compliant with my nutrition program this month. Like, again, that's contextual to them with an athlete. It's, hey, look, you used to have pain every time you would do a forward lunch. Now you're pain-free. Uh, you used to not be able to be on the court for more than 30 minutes without lower back pain. Now you can play threes or five on five for an hour with no symptoms. So I think context is such a big thing when it comes to finding small wins. And that's how you dangle the carrot, right? And I know you know this, but it's like, hey, like, how am I going to keep you moving along this progression? You know, and I'm not a pusher. I'm not, come on, we got to do this. We got to do this. It's like, no, I like to just kind of pull people along. How can we get you from A to B to C to D to ultimately end up where we both want you to be? Just yes. I'm just, okay, I'm just yachting. Just, not, just yes. nodding my head. Yes. yes. Context matters. Yes. Everybody is different. Yes. And on the flip side of that, I think appreciating that you're going to have some, we're talking about finding small wins, but you're going to have some small losses along the way too. Absolutely. And I think there, like, there's, just, there's this image I send to a lot of uh, athletes I work with when they go through rehab. Like they, within the first three days, I'm texting it to them if it's going to be a long process. And you have this straight yellow line that yep. go, just goes up. Yep. And it's like, this is what everyone thinks rehab looks like. This yeah. is what everyone thinks training looks like. And then in the background, you have this faint blue line that's up and down. Yeah. But the overall trajectory is up. Is up. Yes. Right. And I think we're talking about here trying to find context matters and finding the small wins, but also acknowledging like it's okay to have a bad day. Yes. It's okay to, like, oh, you know what? That wasn't it today. But having, I think if you flip it and say, okay, but sometimes you got to endure those challenging times and endure those hard moments to be able to get to the win, yeah. to be able to have the success. Because ultimately, if you even break down the physiology, that's how you build a muscle. Yeah, you gotta, absolutely. You got to break it down to build it back up. Yep. And I think that's just such a great analogy for life and a great analogy for the context of what we have to do because being a great coach is, it's not hard to do. <laughs> no. It's like the X's and O's of it. Like yeah. there's a lot of information out there. You can, yeah. if you want to be knowledgeable and intelligent and know your shit, yeah. it's out there. You can yeah. do it. It's the other stuff yeah. that really sets you apart. Yeah. How do you, on a personal note, how do you find your small wins? Like, cause I mean, you got two kids, you're running a yeah. business, you're training online and in person, yep. right? Couldn't be a grind for you. Yeah. How do you do it? I think this, this was not something I was great at early on. Cause it was always, I never, I never celebrated the wins, right? Like for me, the wins were expected, right? Perfection was expected. And so it's like, no, it's just like this bull rush, maniacal focus towards the end line. And so I think one kid's huge awakening for me, right? Cause I was so focused on business, on personal development, on just achieving the next goal, forced me to slow down a little bit, forced me to have some perspective. Um, constraints, <laughs> right? Like my daughter's going to only live with us for 18 years. Hopefully my son, I don't know about. <laughs> he, he might be there a little bit longer. Uh, we're always joking. It's like a, a race to try and get them ready for real life when they're 18 years old and they have to leave. But in all seriousness, it's like they provide 
you know, some constraints on your life. And it, it just makes you reflective of, hey, look, they're only going to be this age for a certain period of time. It gives you just this broader worldview of, hey, look, man, I can either just continue to grind and just, just push and push and push, or I can go just a little bit slower, right? Enjoy my time with my kids, uh, enjoy the time with my athletes, be reflective of the fact that I am very blessed. I mean, look, man, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. You work in the NBA, dude. How many guys are like, yo, Indy gonna be popping this summer? <laughs> Approximately zero. Zero guys. Nobody, nobody really loves probably Indiana if they are young and single and wealthy. They probably wanna go to Miami or LA, maybe if you're lucky, Phoenix or New York. So I'm blessed of the fact that, man, we've got a really strong, like thriving off-season basketball program here because guys appreciate the work. Um, so I think being able to step back and realize, very lucky, I've had a lot of very cool experiences, being able to work with and network with people like yourself over the years, and just coming back to like, I am in this for the longest game possible. So if you wanna do this, I mean, I don't know, I'm gonna tangent this real quick. Like 10 years ago, my wife and I go to the financial planner and she's like, okay, well, you know, what year do you wanna retire? I don't know, like, let's just set up for like 55. And my life, my wife, she's pretty quiet. She's very funny, but she's pretty quiet. And she just literally starts laughing out loud. I'm like, what's so funny? She's like, you will never retire. And I'm like, okay, you're probably right. That's probably fair. So with that in mind, it's like, hey, look, if I'm going to play this for the longest time possible, like you can't just hang your hat on big wins, right? You, it, you it just doesn't work. You can't work like that. So for me, it's like, hey, man, it's getting a little bit better every day, right? It's like, hey, uh, with my rehab guy that's coming in at 10 today, hey, man, can we get him a little bit more knee flexion, right? Can we get him feeling a little bit lighter so he doesn't have that right knee pain when he lunges today? That's a win. Um, for my own, like, continuing education, it's like, hey, how can I get a little bit deeper into some of this force plate stuff and have a better understanding of, hey, I took these tests and I thought I would see this, but now I see this. Like just that time of reflection and going in, like that's a win to me. And it may not sound exciting, right? It's not like getting, oh man, like 10,000 people like my reel today. It's not that immediacy that you get or that dopamine hit you get from social media or from having a big win. But I think if you have that perspective of, hey man, I'm gonna work hard in the short term, I'm gonna stack these these small wins in the short term, because I know long term, that's gonna get me where I wanna go. And so that's kind of like my viewpoint of all this now. And I, I don't know if you follow Gary Vee, but that's kind of his mindset too. It's like, hey man, I'm gonna hustle, I'm gonna put in the work in the short term, but I'm also playing the longest game possible. So if you have that kind of mindset, it, it gives you the grace and it gives you the ability to have some failures along the way, right? Like I'm not 100% successful. Uh, I've taken some L's along the way, but I also know, hey, my trajectory is doing this over time as well, so. I dig it. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the the wide ranging uh, worldview, but that's kind of how I look at things these days. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's valuable and it's insightful Yeah, because you've been doing it for such so. a long time. Yeah. And like, but you also have the breadth of more of your life than just this identity of a coach. Yeah. Right. And I think sure. that probably like you alluded to, gave you a bit more perspective of understanding what those wins are. Yeah. If we flip it more on like technical aspect yep. of you know, kind of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yep. If someone's listening to this and they want to upgrade their health and performance. Yep. What would be the first steps they should take? I would say the big thing is start doing the things that you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like this is, this is some bad medicine right here, but 
personal reflection, like, I think you can look at me. Uh, I thrived in speed, strength, and power sports. I hate conditioning. So what did I start doing this year? A lot more conditioning because all the things were reflective of that, right? Like I carry enough muscle, um, uh, appropriate body composition, but man, like my HRV and my endurance scores were not probably where they needed to be. And I'm at an age uh, where it's like, hey man, if I'm gonna play this for the long game and I wanna stay in it, not just for the work side of it, but personally, right? Like I wanna watch my kids grow up and I wanna watch their kids grow up. So like the longevity piece of it, right? Not just career, but in life is like, oh, hey, I should probably make endurance and conditioning a bigger focus in my programming going forward. So I think that is the best medicine for you, right? So like if you're a big, strong dude that hates mobility, that's a pretty good indicator. You should probably do some mobility, right? If you're the endurance athlete that just wants to go run hundred miles a week and never lifts weights, probably need to get in the gym and lift some weights. Like it's the low hanging fruit. It's the most easy and benign answer, but it's also probably the most impactful thing you can do for your own health and performance. I love that piece of advice of do the thing you don't like doing <laughs> because it's so true. And like, like I'm sure every, like you keep it even simple. I'm sure everybody has an exercise in the gym. They just don't like doing it. Yeah. But they realize, no, I probably should do this just because I know it's good for me. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. You yeah. Know? Oh, my football guy that'll come in here later. I forgot he's coming in. Excited <laughs> to see him. Strong as an ox, dude. Like he could quit football and probably go. And if he trained for it, be like a professional powerlifter. He's that strong. Um, but anything split stance, single leg, he hates. Mm. As you can imagine, right? <laughs> Put me on two legs and I'll move a house. Put me on one leg and I'll fall. So... <laughs> Yeah, there's a healthy dose of split stance and single leg activities in his program to keep him healthy. Sweet. You ready for some fun stuff now? Yes. I mean, okay. I mean, All the right. whole thing's been fun, but I yeah. <laughs> Would you rather, ready? Yes. Would you rather be telekinetic or telepathic? Oh my gosh. Telekinetic is moving things, right? And telepathic mm -hmm. is reading minds? Mm -hmm. Oh. Telekinetic, just because I don't know if I want to know what people are thinking, man. That's scary. It is. It's scary. I go back and forth because I think... <laughs> I look at it like I'm, I'm always playing devil's advocate in my own head. Right. <laughs> Telekinetic, I'm going to get lazy. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I need a cup of coffee. Mm, let me just, think about it. Just, let me do it. Here it is in my hand. Okay, great. Um, telepathic is scary. Yeah. I think like it'd be, it'd be cool for like a week and then you realize, oh my gosh, I don't want to know that you're thinking that. Yeah. Like, it's almost like ignorance is bliss. Yes. See, I think that that would be it. Like, I feel like I'm already pretty, uh, I forget the word. Uh, empathic. So I feel like I pick up on people's yeah. like body language and vibe pretty quickly anyways. I feel like that would be overwhelming to uh, me. I so <laughs> would you rather have Rambo by your side going into a fight or the Terminator? Mm. Terminator. Terminator. I don't know, man. I'm a, I'm a Schwarzenegger guy. Like Rocky, yes. Rambo, not so much. Mm, okay. Yeah. I, I see it. Predator was one of the favorites. Coney and the Barbarian was actually the one that got me started lifting weights. Okay. If you can watch Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan and not think like, holy cow, that guy had an amazing physique, then there's something wrong with him. <laughs> A little man crush there? Yeah, he was, for sure. Like, dude, his pecs. The pecs were just huge. I was like, oh my God, this guy's jacked. And he could swing a sword, so. I mean, that, that yeah. That's it was amazing. like a double whammy. Uh, would you rather attend a 10-hour concert of an artist you dislike or have a 10 hour dinner with someone you can't stand? Oh my gosh. Ugh. Oh, music, the music for <laughs> sure. No, again, it's just, yeah. If you're around somebody that you don't jive with, oh my gosh, it's like time stops. 
Yeah, the music for sure. I feel like somehow I could like tune that out or ignore it. You can't ignore a person or I can't anyway. So that would be really hard. How do you define old man strength? Forearms and calves. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the second you have a kid, immediately you have forearms and your calves grow by about two to three inches. Oh, shout out to my buddy, Corey. He's like struggling to like get calves his whole career. And it's like, I hope, I can't wait to tell him about this later. He's like, hey man, you just, you just need to have a kid. You just have a kid, man. I'm telling you, immediately your forearms grow and your calves get huge. So what's your best dad joke? What does a DJ name his son? I don't know. Eric, Eric, Eric. Oh, that is a, yeah, I like that one. Okay. What's your kids? My buddy, my buddy taught me that one. Yeah. Shout out to Wes. Okay. Dig it. Hey man, it's been fun. Dude, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I know you are a road warrior. Got in at what, like 4.30 a.m. a couple nights ago. The the sleep deficit is real right now, I'm sure. Oh, my order, my order ring is saying, what are you doing with your life right now? Yeah. Well, yeah, was it two nights ago we got in at 4.30? Last night we got in at 2.30. Yeah. So. Well, I appreciate it. And you came to the Purple Room. I was I, willing to come to you, so. No. This pur- is great. No, Purple Room's great. Sweet. Thanks, awesome. man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Finding Small Wins. If you enjoy these episodes as much as I do, hit that subscribe button and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. To join our Finding Small Wins community, head on over to findingsmallwins.com. For more information about me and my journey, please follow me on social media at adam.loyakino. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, keep finding your small wins.